Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. And so, um, really last week what we spoke about in essence was making room for God through faith. Uh, and really it was about accepting the invitation that God gives us through His promises, through His Word, through His, the person of Jesus Christ. It's about accepting those invitations, believing them, and in so doing, allowing, and allowing the expectations that are created by the promises of God to frame our beliefs, our trust, and our expectations. So that we begin to fully expect that which God promises us. Amen? And this is one of the primary ways that we create room for God in our lives to bring His promises to bear in our lives. Today what I want to talk to you about continues to revolve around the idea of an invitation. I want to just briefly recap on the idea. When you get an invitation to somewhere, that invitation gives you certain kinds of privileges and expectations. Sometimes, if it's a very special party, you'll have to come with your invitation. Access isn't granted to everybody. You're only allowed in if you have the invitation. But when you accept an invitation, there are certain things that you expect. You expect to go somewhere and enjoy a meal, or to enjoy a party, or to enjoy some kind of event. Maybe you've been invited to an event and you accept the invitation. There might be a dress code, and there might also be things that are expected of you, however. Amen? I always get very frustrated when somebody invites you to a wedding and it's very clear, it's black tie, and people come wearing jeans. Grates me. Why? Because it shows disrespect to the host, to the invitation, to the theme, to the ethos of the party. God has issued us with an, with, with an incredible invitation through His Son, Jesus. An invitation into life. Not just life as we know it here. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, to destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That word is the word zoe. It's a Greek word. And it means life. But not just any kind of life. An abundant life. A life filled with richness. A life filled with joy. A life filled with purpose and vision and fulfillment. A life lacking nothing. And through Jesus Christ, God invites us into this life if we will accept it. And one of the ways we... That is how we make room for God. That's how we make room for Him to move and to work within our situation. But there's an expression of life that we can all grow in. And that is the way in which we make room for God when we're together. You see, so often we read the Word of God as if it applies just to me. And does it apply to you? Yes, of course it does. God loves you. He loves you as a person, individual. He knows the very number of hairs on your head. He knows your weaknesses, your strengths, your fears, your insecurities. He knows everything about you. And He loves you. But have you noticed that this whole entire world, apart from one very small exception, is made up of others? And yet we kind of spend most of our life and our time and our thinking revolving around one little part of what is a very, very big puzzle. 
Psalm 133, one of my favorite psalms, says this. It says, Behold. When the Bible, whenever Jesus or a psalm or something says, Behold, it says, I want you to see something. It can, it's actually, you can see it with your eyes. Look how epic it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Now, true unity comes when we're all working together towards the same cause. Amen? Would you agree with that? Unity means we're united. We're of one heart. We're of one mind. We're pursuing the same thing. We're working towards a common cause as well as our mutual benefit. It's not each one doing his own thing. It's not a bunch of people coming together in a self-help club so that we can learn the next thing that I can do to make my business run better, to make my marriage go better, so that it's not all about me. That's not unity. Amen? We might be all in the same place. We might all be hearing the same thing, but that's not unity. Unity is when we are all together in the same family. We're in it not just for what we can get. We're in it for the blessing and and the benefit of the family. I have more in mind than just myself. And God says, look how good life is. Look how pleasant life is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down to the edge of his garments. And so there's this idea that from the top to the bottom, we have power. From the top to the bottom, there is blessing. That's how blessing flows. It's like an anointing that flows down. It doesn't flow from the bottom to the top. Very important to note this, right? Because it has to do with alignment. It has to do with a vision that we all come underneath and buy into. It's not multiple visions, it's not multiple ideas, not multiple agendas. But God has set a vision, He's set people in place who carry that vision, and He has added to them a family to help carry that vision and accomplish it, because it's too big for one man or one woman to do on their own. And everybody has a role to play. And the Bible is so rich in these wonderful analogies. If you just read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about every part of the body that is connected blesses the other part. If you read in Ephesians chapter 4 about the composition of the church, it talks about how there's blessing and growth and edification of the church as every part does its share. So every one of us, as unique as we are, has a role to play in furthering this united vision from God. It's also like the dew of Hermon, again, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. You see, where this kind of unity exists, where people really are together, not just in it for themselves, not just coming. for And really, I want to put this into the context of a local spiritual family. We can call it our church this morning that I'm speaking into. This, this kind of context, where people are not just coming to be blessed, but to be a blessing, to be contributors, to seek for the good of others. The Bible says that's a place where God commands His blessing. Now, I truly believe with all my heart that the blessing of God and the presence of God in many ways are synonymous. Where God's blessing rests, there His presence rests. How can God's blessing go where His presence does not? And where God's presence is, there is blessing. And so if we are sincere in our pursuit of wanting to make room for God, of wanting to experience more of life in the Spirit, of wanting to experience words of knowledge, words of prophecy that unlock dreams and set people's great uh, captives free within our gatherings, when we come together as a spiritual family, we are looking for that commanded blessing. So what is it that this scripture is teaching us? It's teaching us 
that if we are all willing to buy into the same thing, not just mentally, but truly give ourselves to it, we bring ourselves to a place where God's blessing is commanded. It's one of the most powerful ways we get to make room for God. Why is it that when we come together... Thank you, Siobhan, for reminding me. I don't need to... Why is it that when we come together... <clears throat> we, we spend time worshipping. We spend time ministering to the Lord. What is that doing? That's bringing our hearts into unity and into alignment. And into a place where, where we're all focused on the same thing and we're all moving in the same direction. You see, Jesus came to make our relationship with God as individuals more intimate than anyone had ever experienced up until that point. What Jesus did is he introduced us to a God that is the same God that has always existed, but he introduced him to us in a way that nobody had ever fathomed was possible before. He came to introduce him to us as the Father. Not just as Jehovah or Yahweh, Almighty God, not just as all-powerful creator or his healer, but Jesus said, through me, you will be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That all your religious practices and, and systems to try and make room for God, to try and get to God, that's all. I'm, I'm going to take care of all of that so that you can come into divine alignment and unique, vital relationship with God. Now with the name Father, immediately a context is created. Because as soon as a father is present, that means there's family. A father cannot be a father without offspring. Biblically, that would mean a wife. That would mean children. Psalm 68 verse 5 and 6 looking ahead says this. A father, God is a father to the fatherless. He is the defender of widows. God is in his holy habitation. And what does God do? God sets the solitary in families. He brings those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Now that's a very interesting scripture. It's a scripture I love because we love the first part of that. We love the part that says God sets the solitary, the lonely, those who are by themselves into families. He takes those who are bound by uh, Mindsets by sin, by whatever, by oppression, whatever it may be, he sets them free and he ushers them into prosperity. We really like that part, right? But this scripture contrasts two kinds of experiences, but it contrasts two kinds of experiences for two different people. We need to understand that. The invitation remains the same. There's one invitation. God, I am a father. I am wanting to welcome you as a son and a daughter into my family. That you can experience what family life is like as my child. For those who accept the invitation to family, there is a sense of shared blessing and prosperity. I get to, as a son in my house, come into the blessing and the prosperity that I have created, but that my parents have created for me. Amen? And as a family with brothers and sisters, we get to share in our blessing and prosperity. Last night, my sister and her husband and their children came over to our house for supper. And they brought the supper. I said to my wife, your organizational skills are going to another level. I don't know how you pulled that one off. Normally when you invite people, you supply the meal. You're on another level. Be careful if my wife invites you over for a meal. 
But that's family. And we shared in the blessing and prosperity of those who are willing to accept the invitation. But for those who are not, dryness, isolation, struggle, harshness. And so you're probably asking, but why would anybody ever want to reject the invitation to family life? Well, there's one simple reason, and it's because it's costly. You see, when I become part of a family, when I become part of a vision, that vision is not about me. It's not about what the house can do for me. As that, who was it, Abraham Lincoln who said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. To have a rebellious heart simply means to have an unyielded or a proud, self-willed heart. I'm not interested in the vision of the house. I'm not interested in every, what anybody or everybody else is doing. I'm invested in what I am doing. You don't want to conform. <clears throat> you want to play by your own rules. You want to, you know, give a little and serve a little, but you want to do it on your own terms, as is convenient for you. You value your own opinions. You don't want to allow someone else to change your thinking or your priorities or your values. No, no, no. We don't tinker with those things, right? I'm not willing to, to, to have those things meddled with in my life. I want to be control of, in control of my own life. This is my life. I become predominantly concerned with what benefits me. See, that is a rebellious heart. And the Bible says that kind of person who has that kind of mindset will go through life dwelling in a place of barrenness, dwelling in a place where it seems like everything is working against them, dwelling in a place where everything is effort, everything is striving, everything is struggling. Because they're not willing to pay the price to be a part of family. When I was a child, being a part of family means chores. Setting the table, clearing the table, picking up the dog mess. When it was holiday time, my job was to take the Milton into my parents' bathroom and make sure that there was no mold on the walls. Even though it was holiday time, do they not understand what holiday means? <laughs> Truth is, I didn't understand what family means. You see, family is about more than proximity. You're sitting very close to the people around you this morning. But you sit very close to the people around you at work. You sit very close to the people around you when you go on transport. Family is not about proximity. Family is about more than how you are connected at birth. There are many families that are connected by birth, but they have no family life. There's no true relationship. There's no blessing flowing in mutual ways. There's no sincere care and love for one another. Each one in the situation is in it for themselves. That's not family. Now I understand, I, I share this morning from a very privileged position, having grown up where a family environment was something that was both treasured and nurtured and expected. Any attitude that got into the way of family harmony was dealt with. You do not speak to your sister that way. You do not speak to your mother that way. You will have honor and respect one for another. It was expected that you would help one another. To the point where one of my sister's favorite things to do was look at me like this. We're sitting on the couches at home. And she'd look at me. And I'd catch her looking at me. And I'd go, what's the matter? She goes, 
what's that? And I go, what? She goes, stand up quickly. And I'm going, what? Oh, it's nothing. But now that you're up, please would you go fetch me something from the kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) Comes with being the youngest, gullible one. Family is an environment where each one is concerned not only for himself. Family is marked by a few essential traits. Let me name them for you. Number one, unconditional love and affection. Not just unconditional love. This this thing of unconditional love that remains unexpressed is bogus. They know how I feel. No, they don't because you don't tell them. Us guys really struggle with this one, ladies. I need you to know that. When we do marriage counseling, I expect him to know. He doesn't. He has no clue. He needs to be told. Affection works the same way. Family life is marked not just by, it's marked by unconditional love and affection, where that love becomes expressed. It's marked by commitment. Let me give you a definition of commitment. Commitment is an engagement that restricts your freedom of action. Commitment is an engagement that restricts your freedom of action. The moment you commit yourself to that woman, Siobhan, that restricts your freedom of action, brother. As a member of my family, I am subject to my wife and to my children. I cannot just not take the kids to school because I don't feel like it. No. Commitment. Another one of the essential traits of family life is service. Service. Serving one another. How? Through chores, through practical care for one another's needs within the home. Another essential trait. Consideration. Of how others may feel. It's not just about what I want to watch what's on TV. It's not just about what I want for supper. It's not just about what's convenient for me. What do you want to do, my love? What do you guys want to do? That's the mark of maturity, isn't it? Children are always in it for what I want. I see a lot of wry smiles around the house this morning. I'm hitting on touchy topics here. This is good stuff. You know, we, we can apply these things in our natural home, but you know what? It applies just as much here. Consideration for other people. For their preferences. Another essential essential ingredient for healthy family life is honor and obedience. We honor our mothers and our fathers because they are our mothers and our fathers. It's the first promise, it's the first command in the Bible with a promise associated with with it. Honor your mother and your father and it will be well with you and you'll live long and everyone will love you, something like that. Okay, that last part I added, but honor and obedience. Obedience is the is 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 the evidence of honor. It's the fruit of honor. Because I honor you, I allow you to order my steps for me. Because of who you are and because of who I am. What does that do? That kind of attitude brings an entire family into unity give you an example. My children do not argue about coming to church on a Sunday morning. They're too young for it to be an option. 
But the point is, every Sunday morning they wake up and come, let's get dressed. This morning was a particularly difficult one because everyone was tired in the house this morning. But united we come. United we are here. And it's the same with us as a spiritual family. When we all come with an agenda, with a preference of what we want to and don't want to do, folks, what happens is we circumvent the very blessing that we are after. But when we allow God to lead us and we hear that this is what the Lord is saying to us and we give our hearts to that fully, we catch and we become part of a flow of grace and anointing that empowers out the very gifts that we have. It brings us to a place of finding and expressing the grace that God has given to our lives. And we make room for God to work in us and through us in that way. See, this is what God means when He places the solitary in families. But it's also the very reason why some reject it. They do not want anything expected of them. Many people fill churches on Sunday mornings. And they want to hide going in. They want to hide coming out. Because I'm here for the blessing, but I don't want any. Please don't expect anything of me. Please don't ask anything of me. Guess what? They're cut off from the grace. They want the benefits, but they're not prepared to contribute towards them. My children want the benefits of having dogs. They love having dogs in the house. They've got to feed the things. They've got to clean up after them. That's the price you pay for the benefit. Amen? You see, you can never enjoy the full benefits of family life if you choose to live perpetually as a guest. Guests generally don't contribute to the spread unless my wife invites them. (laughs) If you are simply a consumer in your home, what happens? You become a burden on everybody else. How many homes do we have this way? They're like this. Where there are people who are of sound body and sound mind who couldn't be bothered. And so they leech off the others. They become a burden on everybody else in the home. That's not family life, is it? No. Now let's bring that into a church context. Into a spiritual family context. When there are those who come and all they want to do is receive. I want the good stuff. It always amazes me how our attendance skyrockets when we have a meal after church together. When it's spit bright time, this place is full. Have you noticed that? You're smiling because it's true. Come on, let's just be honest with each other. Amen? It's the truth. On days like this, generally not quite so much. You see, as members of the family of God, our chief purpose is to contribute. That's our chief purpose. Why? Because we have received everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And Jesus has told us that the one who is greatest is the one who serves. And so we come with a heart attitude, not looking for what can I get this morning, but I'm coming to the house of God, to be with the people of God, to look at them in the eyes, to see them, to see the struggles, to celebrate their victories. I mean, Denisha has been struggling for weeks, on and off, making applications. Yes, you're assuring, no, you haven't got it. She gets a call this week saying, we want you to come through for them. And I mean, my wife was in tears in the kitchen. With her, she was in tears, I don't know, in your kitchen. And there's celebration because there's breakthrough there. We've been praying for it, and that's great. And there's other times, last night, we, we heard of a me- member of our family over in the United States who fell down some stairs and is, has been rushed into, 
into hospital, into intensive care, may have hurt her back very badly. And that message goes out. But as family, we're all praying together for her. And if you do know Sherry, Sherry Kalivokas, that's who we're talking about this morning. And we know that she's in a rough spot right now. I remember Arthur, we've been praying for Arthur. When we can come together and look at each other in the faces and actually be interested in the other one. Not just do my morning and I can sit and do my little thing, get what I need and avoid everybody so that I can leave again at the end of the day. That's not family. That's not family. We might as well just have a meeting on a Sunday because that's not family. We can stop calling this church. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, this may be hard to hear this morning, but God is breathing on this at this time. Our chief purpose as members of a family is to contribute. And not just in ways that we see fit. You know, there's a mother and a father and they have certain roles and responsibilities within the church. There's vision, there's values, there's set parameters. They, they, they set the trajectory and the values for the whole family. And we don't just get to come in and mess with that. No. We don't just get to come in and do our own thing. But as each one honors the vision, the leaders, the elders, the values, they find a place of meaning and significance within the family where we become contributors and partakers of the blessing of the house. Let's be honest. Last week we announced my wife needing some help with some ushers, some people just to come early and to help welcome people to church. Um, I'm happy to announce it again. That tells me there's a problem. What do you say? Oh, it's getting quiet in here this week. Don't you agree? Am I being too harsh? Am I being too hard? I want to tell you, I've been agonizing over this message because it can come across as very... Hey, I'm wagging your finger at people. That's not the heart of it. That's not the point. The point is that we all get to contribute. We get to contribute. It's a privilege. And when somebody phones Helen and says, hey, I'd love to help. What does that mean? That means you need to be here, please, by half past eight. Half past eight. But do you know how it's a Sunday? Yes, half past eight. So by half past eight, we can have a cup. We'll give you coffee, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll help you. When there's power. When there's power. And then we're going to pray together. We're going to pray for each other and we're going to pray for our service and we're going to pray for the word and we're going to pray for the worship and we're going to trust God together. And we're going to create an atmosphere in which we believe God is going to show up. And then we are going to give ourselves to making sure God shows up. By looking at one another and welcoming each other and blessing and encouraging one another. There's currently a workshop initiative happening within the service ministry of our church. It's called Love at Work. The acronym for that is LAW. What is the law? The law is love at work. Love. Well, I don't have to. I want to. Why? Because I'm a member of the family. I am responsible for what goes on here. Not just me as the pastor. Every one of us. You know, there was a time in my life, I remember walking through our church building. This was long before I was a pastor in this place. And I realized one day as I was walking through, there was not a single room in this entire building that didn't have my mark in it somewhere, somehow. And I'm not talking about blood on the walls here. I'm talking about the flags or something got painted or something. It was my pleasure 
to serve and to be a part and to do whatever I could in the house. Why? Because I'm a son. And that's what sons and daughters do. Guests are not expected to do that. But sons and daughters carry the atmosphere of the house. They, carry, they represent the house. And their hearts are invested to make it everything it could be. And if I see a place where I can do something and make a difference and make an impact, it's, I make it my business to do that. To be a blessing. Not to sit back and to wait for someone else to do it. To sit back and wait to be blessed. But hey, it's my blessing and my privilege. I mean, the simplest example of this, and it's, it's the most rudimentary of them all, is simply in giving. First fruits, tithes and offerings. By and large, we have a generous and a faithful congregation as far as this is concerned. But how can it be that someone should call themselves a member of a family, enjoy the lights, the coffee, the facilities, and yet contribute nothing towards it? You're not a member of the family, you're a guest. You're not invested. How can it be that you come to be blessed every week by teaching, through counsel, pastors always there when you call, through the worship, and yet offer no blessing in return? You're not, a, you're not a son or a daughter. You're not a, you understand the point here? There's a heart in this. That's the attitude of a guest. Expectation without any cost. You see, it really goes way beyond just that example. This really speaks of a heart condition. And it speaks of a heart condition that I want to say to you folks is very near and dear to the heart of God. You see, with God... It's all about heart condition. Because what's the flip side of this coin? The flip side of the coin is to say, well, I don't feel like it, but I'm doing it anyways. It's unacceptable to God. <laughs> you can be the first one here and the last to leave. But if your heart's not in it, not only do you get no blessing out of it, nobody gets blessed through you either. Because there's no grace, there's no life flowing. These things that I'm sharing with you this morning, they're symptomatic of a heart condition. And this is what the Apostle Paul, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. This is what he talks about in the, the, the first few verses of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. We're going to read from the New King James. He says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection... There's that beautiful word again, affection and mercy. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Let's just say this another way. United. Thinking the same way. Going the same way. Working towards the same thing. Having the same love. Being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let's pause for a moment. This is not some kind of self-defaming game that we sometimes play with each other. Oh, they're better than me. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying consider them better than you consider yourself. In other words, let your consideration of them be more gracious uh, and accommodating and considerate than you are towards yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. You see, those who are looking out for their own interests, that's the mark of rebellion. But family life is all about those 
who seek for the interests of others. And then he goes on to say how we do this. You see, this is actually not very difficult. Here's the truth. Inconvenient truth, but the truth. This is not difficult. Why? How do we do it? I mean, we could say, I don't feel like it, but my wife sometimes says, I'm going to put my big girl panties on, and I'm going to do this. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to get on it. How is it that we change our heart condition to bring it into a place where it is acceptable to God, where that which we do is done out of love and in love and by love and through His grace? Very simple. We take our eyes off ourselves. It's just that easy. Who cares what I feel like? You see, we are programmed in our day and age to consider above all things our own comfort, our own preference, which is the antithesis of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus, we're going to read what his mind was like. In all comfort, in all glory, this is what the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. So I'm going to forget about my desires here. I'm going to make myself of no reputation like a servant, taking the form of a bond servant. In other words, not a paid servant. There's no reward in this. I'm not doing it to be blessed. I'm doing it to be the blessing. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. You see, this word, the words, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, is a call to you and I to conformity with Christ. It's a call to pay a price of genuine sonship. That's what Jesus did. As the Son of God, he paid the price of genuine sonship. And he said, hey God, you love them, I love them. You want them, I'm going to go get them. And I'm going to lay my life down for the cause. It's an invitation to make room for God to work through us in serving the needs of our family. Folks, the way that you and I truly get to know God, to know what He is really like, to experience deep and intimate relationship with Him in a real and tangible way, is by humbling ourselves to serve others' needs. It's by getting our focus off ourselves for just long enough to be willing to endure sacrifice and hardship with a sense of deep, genuine joy in our hearts. Rudimentary example. I don't like washing dishes. But I know how much my love, my wife loves to come home to a clean kitchen. Now if she asks me to do the dishes in the morning, I'll do them. But the real joy is when she doesn't ask and I do them. Now she thinks it's the real joy for her. As Chantel is quite rightly alluding to there. It's like, yes brother, you preach that. Now I'm behind you all the way. But the real joy is when I don't feel like doing it. And I say, but 
I'm going to take my eyes off myself for a moment, and I know what this is going to mean to her. So I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to put my things aside, and I'm going to do this one thing. And that's just a very small little thing. But if those kinds of decisions truly become our joy, what kind of life will we lead? How impactful will we become in demonstrating the love and the nature of God to those around us, in our family and in our workplace? You've got your lunch break, your work is up to date, but you know your partner is swamped. So cancel your lunch break. Or you know they don't have time to go and get lunch, so go buy them some lunch and go help them with their work. Spiritual family, you see stuff lying around the floor, you don't know, yes. When is Siobhan going to pick this up, man? (laughs) I was waiting. I gave you a chance. How awesome could this place be when if every one of us arrived here on a Sunday morning looking to outdo the next one in serving and loving? I'm excited. You see, when we insist on that which is expedient and convenient for ourselves, we begin cutting ourselves off from the very grace of God. The treasure is to find joy in blessing others. To find the joy of personal sacrifice that I lay down willingly, not begrudgingly, not because it's expected, not because I have to, but because I truly want to. What time do you want me here? How can I serve? How can I be a blessing? What do you need? What a difference that makes in the life of a family. Not only that, but it comes to the point where we're promoting and we're making way for others. And we're celebrating their victories, just as we spoke about earlier on. That's why we're having hamburgers in a couple of weeks' time. Because we're going to get behind that. We're going, to, we're going to support that. We're going to celebrate that. Amen? And it's not just because the more money they make, the more of us they can invite. No! <laughs> this is the heart attitude we want to embrace when we come together as family. Do we come together as a group of guests expected to be waited upon? Do we come in and sit down? And stay seated, not even meeting the other people, not even fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters, waiting to be spoken to and blessed. Or are we looking for opportunities to be a help and a blessing? Actively seeking ways to know others and serve their needs. I want to just do something very simple this morning. I don't kind of have this in my notes and I'm going to go a little different way this morning. But will you all stand? And here's something that is probably very strange. I would like you to move around the fellowship now, and if there is somebody that you do not actually know by name, Megan, get ready, it's going to get rough, girl. It's your first time. (laughs) Just go and greet them. Go shake their hand, because you can do that now. And say, I've seen you before, and I've seen you on that side, but um, my name is so-and-so. I'd like to say hi. If there's someone you don't know, because I know that there are some of you who don't know some people in this church. I mean, mom and dad have been away for seven weeks. Let's go and do that. Let's just take a minute and go say hello to somebody. Maybe you haven't seen anybody that you don't know.
say hi to him. That's okay, I know everybody. That's the, <laughs> I'm supposed to. I've seen you before. Hi, anyways. Thanks, Tilly. Hello! Alright, let's, let's try and find our seats again. And then we'll close up and you can do much more of this. Sure, that got quiet fast. Okay, let's just grab a seat. If you can't get back to your seat, just sit where you are. <laughs> so here's here's the point. I want to I want to I want to cro- close out with one portion of scripture. Here's the point. It's the heart of sonship. It's the heart of family. It's the point that I am really concerned with my brother and my sister's life. That I long to know them, and I long to make room for them in my heart. And I want to pray for them. And I want to see God work in their situation. And I want to speak encouragement to them. So when I come here and I gather together, I'm not just coming here to sit and to hide from everybody, but I understand that I am part of a family where there is love and there is affection, where there are chores and there is duty that I can get involved in and I can make a difference. All of the streaming out of a heart attitude that is not fixated on self that is willing to be led by the spirit of god because we are the sons and daughters of god let me close off with this portion of scripture i'll read it to you it comes from the passion translation romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 17 says this the mature children of god are those who are moved by the impulses of the holy spirit And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, all the things you got to do, all the things that need to get done, leading you back into fear of never being good enough, but you received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. You will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. And as we say, Beloved Father, we are united with our brothers and our sisters who do the same. And my heart, as I throw it open to my beloved father, gets thrown open to my beloved brother, to my beloved sister. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share in his treasures. It's the invitation. For indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. What is the key to enjoying 
the rich fellowship of all that God has given us. It's being willing to take on the mind of Christ, who did not consider himself, but considered others first. Who sought not to be served, but to serve, and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. In so doing, he ushered you and I into a flow of the grace of God. In so doing, you will usher others into a flow of the grace of God beyond your wildest dreams. If we can just get over ourselves. And I want to say to you today, beloved brothers and sisters, beloved sons and daughters of this spiritual family, let's arise. Let's take all that God has given us. Let us not come together ever again to just say, hey, I'm just coming because I want to be blessed. But let us understand that when we come together, we come together with the privilege of being, yes, blessed as we give and as we serve and as we lay our lives down. To serve those we hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.